Very good. I'm having a good morning. I'm having a good morning. It's a good morning. Uh, all right, we are carrying on in Acts. So, um, well, kind of. We'll see in a second. <laughs> but uh, we're in the book of Acts as we look to um, see how the first Christians, the first church, carried out the mission Jesus gave them because we want to carry out the mission that Jesus gave us. It's the same mission. And so that's what we've been looking at it. We've been kind of summarizing it this way, proclaiming the kingdom of God through the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've kind of just been at the beginning. We've been using this, this uh, theme verse, if you will, Acts 1.8. I don't know how you're doing with your memorizing, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so we've seen, the, what we've started to see is the church fulfilling that. That's what happened. The Holy Spirit came upon them at, at Pentecost, and Peter goes out, it draws a big crowd, God opens a door, he shares the gospel, right? Short time later, him and John going up to the temple, <laughs> Holy Spirit, hey, heal that guy, heal a man, in Jesus' name, draws a big crowd, shares the gospel, people saved. And so we've been seeing this pattern, this, this devoted disciples, empowered by the Holy Spirit, seeking God for how to be used by him for an opportunity. God opens a door, and they are just obedient to share, to be a witness for Jesus. And so we've seen this pattern already in a couple stories, a couple sermons we've looked at. And at this point, what we've seen Peter doing, he's been using the Old Testament, right, or the Psalms the last time we looked at it, which makes sense. He's speaking to a Jewish audience, and so it makes sense he would use that. That's what they'd be familiar with. Um, and so today we're actually going to go, we're going to jump ahead to that Acts 17 that Doug read. And the reason I want to kind of jump ahead and we'll, then we'll go back to, to Acts again uh, and carry on where we left off. But the reason is, is that here we're going to find Paul doing much the same thing. Paul is, is if you know the apostle Paul, a missionary, and he went out and he's, he's go, went throughout the whole kind of Roman the, around the Mediterranean Sea, all those different cities that you've, there, a lot of them are letters in our, in our Bible, Philippi and Ephesus and Thessalonica and Corinth, and he would preach the gospel, be a witness to Jesus. And, but he's preaching to a Gentile audience, non-Jews. And so how does he contextualize? How does he share the gospel with these people who don't believe in the God of Abraham? They've got all, they believe in either all kinds of gods, Zeus, and all kinds of different beliefs that they had. Their, their philosophy of life is all over the place. And so how do you speak the truth of Jesus to those groups, which is probably what we would more be encountering in our day, all different kinds of views and ways of life. And we're looking for these opportunities to share Jesus. And so that's why I wanted to just jump ahead. We're going to do today just Acts 17 to kind of see much the same idea of this pattern, but how do we share that message with um, people in our day that aren't Jewish, don't know the scriptures. We can't go quoting Old Testament prophecies and have them go, oh, okay. And, uh, and so what we're going to see, I'll lay it out right at the beginning. Here's kind of, I call them life speaks questions. And this is kind of the, the thing that Paul is going to use. And He's going to talk about these three things when he gets the opportunity to share about Jesus. They invite him to share. And he's going to kind of talk about these three things. Origin. And I say these are life's three big questions. These are common to every human 
experience. This is what we experience as humans. Every human is asking these questions. I think this is why there's so many religions. If you've ever been asked that question, why are there so many religions in the world? It's because man's searching for the answer to these questions, right? And we have the truth, church. We have the truth. And so Paul's going to, to go on on these three things. So just if you're taking notes, these are the three. We'll come back to them later in the sermon. But just to lay them out here, origin, where did I come from? How did all this come to be? Where did the universe come from? Is there something behind it all? That question of origin. The second one is purpose. Big old question. What's the meaning of life? What is my purpose here? What is life about? What am I supposed to be striving for? What is, what is the goal? What are the things I should be putting all my effort into? And then destiny. Is there something that happens after you die? Is there an afterlife? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is there, is there something more than just this physical life that we live? Is there a spiritual side to it? That question. And so he's going to use those three questions to speak the gospel to, to this crowd. So before we get there, though, um, let's look at the context and kind of get ourselves to, to understand who he's talking to and see if we can relate it all. And so you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Um, there is chair Bibles in front of you if you don't have your own. Um, but Acts chapter 17, we'll be starting at verse 16. And uh, just to bring you up to this point, um, Paul, if you know Paul, so he's, he's a missionary, he's traveling around. This is during his second missionary journey. And so he's already traveled around to a number of the cities around the Mediterranean Sea, throughout what would be modern-day Turkey and Greece and, um, and Syria. And so he's traveled around to those places, and he's been sharing the gospel. And he usually travels with a couple companions. So at this point, he's traveling with Timothy and Silas. But something has started happening here. There's this group of Jews that have been kind of following Paul around. They're really upset with him. He used to be a Pharisee. They don't like that he's preaching about Jesus as the Son of God. And so they're really upset. And so they're basically, wherever, whenever they find out that Paul's in a new place, they follow him there, and then they try and stir up trouble to get him killed. And so Paul kind of arrives in a place, starts to preach the gospel, and then he's got to kind of flee because they want to stone him or something, and they stir up the crowds. And so he keeps moving around. So that's what's happened. He's just been in Thessalonica and then Berea, and he's been chased out. And so he's kind of fled to Athens, and he's waiting in Athens for Paul or for Timothy and Silas to arrive to join him, and then they're going to carry on. Okay, so just interesting that he's not in Athens because God led him there to, to plant a church or anything like that. He, he's kind of just passing through. It's like he's in an airport, okay? What's he going to do? He's kind of killing time while he's waiting for his plane to arrive idea. And so he's waiting for, for Timothy and Silas, and here's what it says. Verse 16, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he's in Athens, and if you know anything about Athens, currently the capital of Greece, it would have been the capital of Achaia back then, um, but it was still the center, cultural center of the known world at that time. So, so Alexander the Great is kind of between Old Testament and New Testament, conquered the whole world. You know the Alexander the Great, right? Conquered the whole world, and one of the things Alexander the Great did was he instilled Greek education, Greek language in the whole, basically the whole known world, which is why the New Testament's written in Greek. Anyways, um, so, but centered there the center of all of that you know the world's ideas philosophy language education was centered the center of that is athens that's where all the great philosophers are from that's where all the big teachers are that's where all the latest ideas are being talked about all centered there in athens and that's where paul finds himself 
And so he's there in Athens, and he starts walking around the city, and he sees all these idols. And it says his heart was provoked. His heart was provoked. That, that, the word there translated provoked, um, it's not the idea of an angry provoke, like you're provoking me to anger. It's, it's like grieved. It's like his, his heart went out to them. You know, his heart's kind of broken for them because he's looking around and he's seeing all these idols. Because idols isn't just, it's not just that an idol shows that, hey, you're, you're worshiping a piece of, a hunk of wood, you know, one piece to make firewood out of and the other piece you carved into an idol and started worshiping it. It's the fact that, I mean, that's sad in its sense, kind of silly, but it's the idea that these people, when you worship something, they're giving up. It's what they're putting their hope in. You know, it's what they go to when they get to the encounter the, the difficulties in life. They're going to a worthless, lifeless idol. It's what they're sacrificing, livestock. Some of these pagan religions, you sacrifice your own kids. Like, this is high. Like, that's what they're devoted to, and it's a hunk of wood they carve themselves. And it grieves his heart to see all these people pursuing this lifeless thing. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Amanda and I were um, in Guelph uh, for a funeral in the morning. And uh, kids were at grandma and grandpa's, and we weren't picking them up until the end of the day. And so we had uh, some time in the, in the day. So we thought, we'll go down and have a, you know, go sit at a little cafe. Amanda and I like coffee. That's our thing to do if it's just the two of us. So we'll go find a little cafe, sit there, and have a coffee and talk and stuff. And so we went to downtown Guelph and started to walk down downtown Guelph to find a little cafe and found our place and got our expensive coffees and sat down and, and, uh, and just watched. It was busy. Well, it was a Saturday, so lots of people going here and there. And, uh, and I just sat there and then I leaned over to Amanda and said, I feel like I'm in Athens. I'd started to, I'd been starting to look at this sermon and it was on my mind, obviously. And, and it's just, it was like everybody was wearing what they cared about, their identity, their, what they were passionate about, wearing it on the outside. You know, like a stroller came by, just plastered with stickers. All the, you can just guess what they were, right? All the latest ideas, the things that, that's being talked about on a stroller, you know? It seemed like everybody's t-shirt had to have, was this big with some kind of slogan, something on their t-shirt that said, this is who I am, or their hat. Or tattoos, you know, tattooed right under their body. Like, this is who I am, right? Every place you walk by seemed to have its own identity or the thing it stood for. You could see just by the posters and the signage and the things hanging on the wall and the, just screaming, this is what I care about. This is my philosophy's life. This is what I value. This is what I'm about. Just screaming it out. And, and it provoked my heart. You know, we sat there and I looked across at someone sitting at the table and I thought, I asked that question, like, what would I say if I wanted to have a meaningful conversation? What would I say? What could I say to start? I don't know. To see a world that's put so much passion into things that won't satisfy some things that are just outright lies of the devil, you know? all shouting these messages. So what do we do? That's kind of where Paul was at, I think. I don't know if we have a cultural center like Athens today anymore with our global economy and the internet. You know, Athens, the latest ideas, whatever the world's chasing after, talking about, is in the palm of our hand now, isn't it? 
It's whatever's trending. It's whatever comes into it. Right? That's our Athens now. Mm-hmm. And so what's Paul do? What do we do? In verse 17, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So it's interesting. Paul, his heart is grieved seeing all these idols, seeing all this chasing after these things that are, aren't real, lifeless. But the first place he goes is to the synagogue. He doesn't tell us why exactly. He takes them, it is Paul's pattern. Every place he went to, he would always go to the synagogue first and give Jews, kind of give Jews the first chance, tell them about Jesus. Usually get rejected, and then he'd go to the Gentiles, to the marketplace. So maybe he's just following his pattern. But uh, I also wondered if, if it wasn't um, just that he knows that they need Jesus too. You know? And it's a good reminder for us, because I think sometimes we look at where culture's going, we look at whatever word you want to use, progressive, liberal, whatever word you want to use for, right? And we look at, oh, they really know, look at where our world's going, they really need to know the truth of Jesus. But your good, moral neighbor that doesn't know Jesus needs to know him too, you know? Just as much. Just as much. And so we go to the synagogue, we go to those people that are those, the, the religious and the non-religious. Anyway, so he goes to the synagogue, but then he also goes to the marketplace. I thought two interesting things for us I picked out of this too. One, he goes to the marketplace. We need to go, church. We need to be in the world. We need to have non-Christian friends. We need to be out there. We can't hide in our Christian bubble. He went to the marketplace, right? And many of us, if you have jobs and stuff like that, God has given you your mission field, but what's your mission field? Who are the people that God's put around you? And you can go. And then he did it every day. You know, that just said to me, that's, he's consistent. It wasn't one time, oh, I tried, I don't know, give up, <laughs> right? He went every day. And then lastly, pick up on this word. So he reasoned. And the Greek word there is where we get dialogue from. He dialogued, right? And so don't picture him standing on a soapbox with a bullhorn, right? He talked with people. He dialogued. He reasoned with them. To have a dialogue, you have to let them speak too. You have to listen. You have to hear where they're at, what God's doing in their life. And so he reasoned with them. He dialogued with them. And goes on, kind of gives us a little detail of what that looked like. Verse 18, Now some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? But others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So he draws a crowd, and he's got, now he's got these diverse worldviews, right? Peter drew a bunch of Jews. He's got Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. And now we know Greek philosophy, it's known for, Athens was known for philosophy. They still teach Greek philosophy in our schools today. Aristotle and Plato and those guys, right? It still quite shapes a lot of our current Western culture, just so you know. But anyway, so it was known for that. So here we have these Epicurean Stoic philosophers. And I'm going to share a little bit about what their philosophy was. It was a way of life. It's how they lived their life. It's what they valued. It's what would have been the stickers on their stroller and the t-shirts they would have been wearing, okay? And I'm going to share what those are. But it's interesting. As you look at them, see if it doesn't sound familiar at all. Because I think sometimes we think like, and this is what we hear, that, you know, we've progressed. 
as humanity. We've progressed and kind of we're, we're moving on as a, as a people. And yet, in how we live life, and we've got it all figured out now is kind of what culture looks to say. But I want you to see as you look at how these, the philosophy of life that they had. So first off, the Epicureans. Um, their goal in life was pleasure. Um, but not the not the uninhibited, wild, do whatever you want, you know, no holds bar kind of kind of pleasure. They were they strove for a life of balance, a life of comfort, free from fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety is bad, right? And so they how can we be free of pain? So we just a comfortable life, in balance, indulge in the things that make you happy, not too much, because that ends we know how that ends if you do things too much, right? So don't find this life of balance. Kind of a, today we actually still use the word for kind of fine living or fine food. Any spice lovers out there? See where that comes from? That's where it comes from. So fine food, fine living, you kind of get the picture of, of their lifestyle, eh? Comfortable, balanced, free of anxiety, fine living. And spiritually, what their truth was, how they lived, was their personal experience. What was true for them? right? What they had experienced in life. And so that shaped even their view of God. They weren't necessarily atheist. They were what we would call today agnostic, which means like they would say, yeah, maybe there's some kind of something out there, but it's impersonal, wants nothing to do with us, you know, has nothing to do with our current state of reality, basically. If there is something, you can't know it. It was kind of their view. What you could know was the here and now, what you can see, measure, touch, feel. That's what they kind of live in. The truth is what you can see and understand yourself, whatever you make it. And so that was kind of their, their way of life. Sound familiar? And then we have the Stoics. For the Stoics, life was all about being self-sufficient and in control. Yeah? So it was really, they really stressed the, the reasonable, the rational mind. You've got a brain. You make your decisions. Figure it out for yourself. Do what you think is right. You make the decisions. You're in charge of your life. No one tells you, be you, that kind of an idea. That was their, their way of life. But at the same time, spiritually, they were pantheists. They, were, they believed that there was kind of a spirit in everything or a force out there or, you know, that over and above and that kind of an idea. They were pantheists. It was just there. So they were spiritual in that sense. To, they really believed strongly in living harmoni- harmoniously with nature. Sound familiar? <laughs> Nothing new under the sun, is there? And so that's who Paul's speaking to. I just want you to see that. It's, it's, uh, that's the way they lived their life. That's what they valued. Okay? I wonder what kind of t-shirts they were wearing, what tattoos they had. I don't know. So Paul gets given this opportunity, and you see how some, are, some reject him. Some go, eh, he's just a babbler. That's going to happen. It's going to happen. But some of these others... Verse 19, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. The Areopagus was, think, university forum, okay? This is where all the top minds, the top thinkers, this is where they meet to discuss. They invite him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new description there but this is actually the verse that stood out to me as i was sitting in that cafe is i went what could i say that would make someone say i want to hear more what you're saying is kind of weird kind of strange i don't quite get it 
but I want to get it. I want to hear more. And I thought, what could I say that would, that would create that kind of response? Well, Paul's now given this opportunity. What a great opportunity, eh? At the Areopagus, this is like the pinnacle, all the greatest thinkers. So here he is. He's God's opened a door. Just like God opened doors for Peter, God opens a door for Paul. What's he going to say? How is he going to be a witness to Jesus to this group? So he starts off this way. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So he starts off in kind of two things. First, he's going to connect with them, right? And, and he says, I see that you're very religious. Right? Now he's looking at there's idols all over the place, so that's a pretty obvious conclusion to draw. <laughs> pretty easy start point. And at first, we maybe we think we look at that and we go, well, we can't say that. We can't look around and go, oh, talking to somebody. Most people, we're not going to say, hey, you're very religious. They're going to go, no, I'm not. Actually, has anybody ever got the, but I'm not religious caveat as soon as you start any kind of conversation. They start to know who you are. And it's, but I'm not religious. You know, they throw that in there. I usually say me either. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love Jesus. Um, yeah, and so, but, but I want you to think about it again. I, I think that re- religion is just a set of beliefs. Okay, that's what the word means, set of beliefs. Everybody lives by something. Everybody has a philosophy of life. Everybody has values that they live by. Everything, everybody has something that's going to determine what direction they're taking in life, what decisions they're going to make. Those, those are beliefs. That's what determines what you do. And that way, everybody is religious. And so, on that way, I think that this is a great way to start. When we come into somebody, we're not looking at that person like, look at you, clueless person. You just, you're worshiping worthless stuff that doesn't have any life. Oh, how, right? That's not, it's, it's understanding. That's why it's a dialogue. Because you're going, I can see that as a human being like me, going through this human experience that I can relate to, I can see you have things that you're passionate about. I can see that you have things that values, things that you care very much. Why do you care about that so much? Why do you have put so much value in that? Why, you, why, is that, why choose to wear that t-shirt? Or why did you get that tattoo? What's it mean to you? That kind of an idea, right? Why are these things? Because they show that they have, a value, they have values in something. There's something there they're searching for. And so he starts with that. He connects with them on that personal human level. And then he points out this altar to the unknown God. Now, this is, this is really interesting. The uh, altar to an unknown God. Because doesn't that seem kind of weird? Like, why would you make an altar to a God you don't know? Like, for them, they, they're physically making something. And it's like, how did you pick the shape? How did you, what words did you put on? If you don't even know the God you're making it for. Like, like it's kind of a, why would you make an altar? How did that come to be? Anybody asking that? <laughs> Um, well, there's, there, there's, this isn't the only one. This is, they found other altars to unknown gods in other places in that, that area. So this is something that happened. And, and one of the things, one of the connections that we have to this particular place is later on in a few verses, Paul's going to quote one of their poets who lived like 600 BC, Epimenides. And, and there's a story from way back when he was alive that there was this plague that went through Athens, 
okay? And so what do you do when a plague comes and people are dying and people are getting sick? Well, you go to your gods and offer sacrifices. So that's what they did. They went to all the gods they had, and they, had a, they believed in all kinds of gods. So they went to all these gods, offered sacrifices, but the plague didn't stop. It kept going. And so they're in this pickle. What do we do? It's not stopping. We've offered the sacrifices we're supposed to offer. It's not, what's going on? And so they went to Epimenides and said, you know, what should we do? And so his conclusion was, well, we must have missed one. There must be a God that we don't know about that's angry and sent this plague. And so what do we do? So he came up with this plan. He got a hundred sheep that were really hungry and he sent the sheep out and because a, a hungry sheep won't lay down all the time, right? Because it's hungry. It's going to go try and find food. So he said, okay, so we'll send these hundred sheep out. You follow it wherever the sheep eventually does lay down. We're going to assume that's a sacred place. There's some God, because they always believe like the gods were over a certain area. So the God is over that, and that that's a sacred place, and that he wants that as a sacrifice. So kill the sheep, build an altar, kill the sheep on the altar, and there you go. And so then you're left over with this altar to an unknown God trying to appease it so a plague will go away. And I just say all that, give you all that background to, uh, to point out that this human experience includes the difficulties in life, includes the challenges we go through. That's, that's, every human is going to face the difficulties of a broken world. And how do we deal with that? We have to rely. What do we go to? What do we run to when we encounter the challenges of life? The diagnosis, the doctor's appointments, the economic challenges, the housing, whatever it is, right? What do we do? Where do we go? What do we run to? And so Paul's going right to that. He's seeing that there's a connection there in, in with people that you're searching for something. You know, you're looking for something to try and explain this difficult situation. Let me proclaim them to you. Let me give you the answer. And so once again for us as we're dialoguing with people, trying to understand what's God doing in their life, what do they value, what do they care about, what are they looking for, there's also the question of what are they dealing with? What are they going through? What are the difficulties and the challenges and the trials that they're dealing with in life that we can point them to God is the answer. Now he carries on. He's going to go right into those three things. So if you're taking notes and you want to know, I just put these actually in the margin of my Bible, a little, a little tick in, in the three of them. Verses 24 to 26 is that origin. Paul's going to start there with the origin, answering that question of where did I come from? In verses 27 to 30, he's going to talk about purpose and meaning. And in verse 31, destiny. Okay. Let's get into them. Verse 24. So Paul answers it this way. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And so he starts here and he just points out the obvious. Look at, like we all know there has to be a God. It doesn't matter. I mean, I know our culture, like they try and explain it without God. We all know that no matter, at some point, you go back far enough, some point, something came from nothing. The universe can't explain itself. It's impossible, right? The only explanation is there, there is a being that is eternal outside of time 
not made of matter, spiritual, and all-powerful, with the ability to create and make things, right? And intricately design it incredibly, right? I mean, there has to be a God. And so he starts there. They would have been theists. We're working in an atheistic um, culture. Actually, the Epicureans were kind of on the, on, the, on the border there. But um, so he's speaking to them. So he points out just the fact that, yes, there's a God. We all know this intuitively. If we just open our eyes, we can see there's definitely a God. But he didn't just create the universe. He made you. He gave you the very human experience that you're dealing with. You know, and when we stop and think about ourselves like as human beings and the human experience that we're in, just the fact that we even can have this conversation and think about this because we have reason and logic, that we can ask those big questions in life. Like, no other creature asks, where did I come from, what's the meaning in life, and is there something after I die, right? The turtle you drove past didn't think that this morning, right? That's a human experience, God-given. It points to him. The fact that we can love and have relationship, right? Unique these human relationships, these incredible things we get to experience. God gave us those. We know that, that that didn't just happen by chance. It can't. It can't be explained by science. Things like beauty and music and taste, I mean, these things can't be explained that way. It's in us. Those things that, just think of the things that move your heart, right? Anybody ever been moved by a data sheet, right? And facts. No. It's music. It's beauty. It's relationship. It's it's those things that move us, move our hearts. That's the human experience. It's God-given. Somebody must be moved by data sheet. I can see it. <laughs> okay, I take it back. Um, and then our conscience, the knowledge of right and wrong, right? It's in us. Why are we so passionate about even non-Christians, people who claim to be atheists, they're passionate about this thing is right and this thing is wrong. It's in us. Why? What is all this evidence of a God, a creator, given to us? What is it all for? Well, that's the second thing. Purpose. Verse 27. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us. I've given this example before, and this is the verse that I kind of got it from, is that picture of being in a dark room, pitch black room. Like, what would you do if you were just in pitch black room? I guess all you could do is start to feel around, right? You kind of feel your way towards something. And when you found something, you'd kind of try and figure out what it is. And can you do anything with it? Can it help improve your life in any way? Can you eat it? Can you get yourself out of the room with it? What do you do with it? Right? And then try it. You can toss it if it doesn't work. And then go over here and feel something else. And in God's word, the truth of God is like if someone flipped the light on, right? It just illuminates everything we encounter in life. It brings clarity to that's what that God intended that to be for. That's what he wanted us. That's what marriage is about. That's what how to do relationship. That's what beauty and taste and music and all these things that God has given us, our conscience. This is how they're supposed to be used. And he brings that clarity. That's kind of the picture. All those things are meant to point us to him, to draw us to him, to make us want to seek him so that we can find him because the purpose that God created us for is relationship with him. That's the meaning of life. 
is to have relationship with our creator. In him we move and have our being. We are his offspring. It's like he, like a father to a child. He loves us dearly and he invites us into that relationship. Carries on. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands people everywhere to repent. I think he just points out here something that, that is just true to human nature. And that's that even when we get to the point we're willing to acknowledge God, okay, okay, there's a God. It's, the evidence is too much. I can see it. I'm willing to acknowledge, yeah, there's something more, right? I, I'm even going to believe in, in God. I'm going to say, okay, what do I need to do? So often, though, we can get to that point, but then we still want to define who God is. Okay, okay, yeah, I believe it. The evidence is too strong, but my God, he's, he, he wants me to be healthy and wealthy. Um, my God, my God, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to determine what his standards are for acceptance. I think I'm good enough. I'm pretty good. I, I follow a lot of his rules, you know. So I think I'm going to determine that I'm good enough. I'm going to determine what he likes, what he's asking of me, all right? That's making God our own, defining him ourselves. Or we pick and choose his rules, you know? We start reading and finding out what he said, and then we go, yeah, I don't really like that one. That's real uncomfortable. I, I don't think I can accept that one. I'll take this one. Eh, good moral ones, golden rule, you know? But as soon as we start to do that, he's no longer God. We don't get to define who he is. Our choice is either to reject him or surrender to him. He's God, right? And that's what he's calling them to. We don't get to define. Back then, they actually literally carved an idol. We just form it in our minds, define, make up God who we want him to be. But that's not our choice. He says he's not made by our, our imagination. He's God. He made us. He defines it. And our choice is to surrender to him. That's what repent. Repent just means to turn. we're going down that road of being our own God, doing what we want, doing what we think, making God what we think he is, defining it our way, until we finally get to that point, trying all those things, doing all the philosophies of life, until we get to that point where we go, it's not working, I'm willing to finally surrender my life to who he is, no (laughs) no matter what that means. We repent, we turn. So... He calls everyone everywhere to repent. Why? Because there is a afterlife. There is more than just this world and what we can see. There is a destiny for us. Because he, God, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, that's Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. There is an end to this world. All the brokenness, all the reasons why they make idols to unknown gods. Right? There is a God. There is a bro- that, that made this world and they broke it. And he is going to set it right. He is going to judge all that is evil in righteousness. Right? That's what is right. 
And if it wasn't for Jesus, every one of us would be condemned. Right? None of us would meet that standard. That's the beauty of the gospel. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. That's what God did. Right? That's the destiny. There is an eternal life offered through Christ to anyone that would receive it, anybody who would believe in him. And that belief in who Jesus is is rooted in historical fact. I love how Paul put that in there. The proof of Jesus' resurrection. Right? We believe in a Jesus who, who literally came and walked this earth and died on a cross to pay for us and, and then proved it. He said, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to rise again, and then he did it. Right? What more proof do we need showing that he conquered sin, showing that he paid for it, showing that he has the ability to give this eternal life that he promises? That's the Jesus we believe in. That's the one that he's calling us to. That's the gospel. And so Paul presents that, answers to those three questions. The, the questions that every human has. And this is the result. Verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Some mocked. That's going to happen. You know, I think often maybe that's our fear. We think everyone's going to mock. And not everyone's going to mock. We'll see in a second. But some will. Some will. That's just the truth. We don't know what God's doing in their hearts. And some will mock. Do you, do you really believe the Bible? I do. Do you really believe that God put on flesh, came down, died on a cross? I do. Do you really believe that he rose from the dead, like a man rose from the dead, ascended to heaven? I do. I do. Do you really believe that, that there's a heaven and there's a hell and in my eternity is determined by what I do with that man, Jesus? I do. I do. Some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. But some believed. But some believed. We don't know whose heart God's working on, but he has put people in your life for, your, for you to share with. You're not going in there to beat them over the head. You can't save them. But he's giving you opportunities to have those God conversations, to share the truth, the truth that is the light for all of our human experience. That's the Bible. That's the gospel. That's the truth that we have, church. All the other religions of the world, all man-made ways, God, man searching for how to get to God, and Christianity is the only one that says, not how can you get to God, but this is what God did for you. Amen? That's the truth that we have, the answer to what everyone's searching for. And so, for the doers of the, of the word this week, just simply see if you have the opportunity 
to have some God conversation this week. Maybe there's someone that God's put in your life that, that has looking, has searching for one of these questions. You've seen it come up. And you're looking for the opportunity. Where did I come from? How, where did old come to be? What's this all about? There is an all-powerful creator that loves you. He desires to have a relationship with you. You can glorify him. And through Jesus, you can receive the gift of eternal life. That's just some of the truth that we believe to those human questions. And so look for an opportunity this week to share that. Um, I wanted to give the opportunity, just I don't know what God's doing in your hearts. And if there's someone here and you've been, some of those, maybe some of those philosophies, you've seen it in your own life, you've realized that I've been kind of living by a worldly philosophy. I'm chasing comfort. I'm chasing um, pleasure. I'm chasing fine living. I, I'm trying to just be comfortable. I'm, I don't know, I'm living in fear. What is it? Maybe you've seen some of that, or maybe some of the things, those questions in life, and you aren't sure of your destiny. And I want to give you the opportunity this morning to come ask those questions. Let's dialogue, okay? Let's dialogue. Let's just talk. We want to find out where you are. Find someone that you know, that you can see in their life, that they know Jesus. Find them. Talk to them. Ask them questions. Um, I'd certainly invite you, if you don't have anybody, come on up. And, and uh, on the last song, we can sit and chat, and, and uh, we'll pray with you. Um, it's, the, it's the truth that uh, we're all searching for in this life. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. We feel the weight of living in a broken world, of friends and family and co-workers and people that you've put in our lives that don't know your truth. And we too, Lord, we, our hearts are provoked, or they should be, when we see people chasing after things that are empty. And we feel the weight of that, the truth um, of who you are, Jesus and the life that you've given. At the same time, Lord, we are encouraged when we see your power and you at work in people's lives. And so we pray that you would give us the humility to um, go where you lead, to say what you want us to say, to follow you, Pray that you give us ears and eyes to see where you're working in people's hearts. Pray that you would give us the words to say and when to hold our tongue when we're talking to those and having those conversations. Speak through us, we pray. Use us for your glory to see people come to know you. Thank you for the encouragement of a body. Um, We can encourage one another. I pray that you would... uh, Join us together even closer. Unite us as we um, support one another in this mission that you have given to make disciples who make disciples. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.